Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians for our Bible reading and to chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, which is on page 987 of the Church Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Amen. Let's just pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, your word of truth is a searchlight that shines its life-giving message into the deepest recesses of our hearts and minds and souls. We thank you for that. We thank you that you leave no stone unturned and that you want nothing other than our holiness, our Christ-likeness, until the day when we shall know the Lord Jesus fully, even as we are fully known. So speak to us through these verses, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I do think if Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians had finished at chapter 3, verse 13, we might not have noticed that anything was missing, because he has spoken to them about his delight in their growing faith. And at the end of chapter 3, he kind of rounds off, as it were, with a paragraph that's like a doxology, that it's like a rounding off. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase, and so on. And if, if the letter had ended there, that would have been that. And we might not have noticed. But what we find in the New Testament, this is a pattern particularly clear in Paul's letters, but we find it all over the whole of the Bible, is that um, God's 
teaching to his people is never, ever left hanging in midair. What God does uh, is he goes on, having taught one thing, he then, by his Spirit, and the Scriptures are often ordered in this way, presses it down into the daily nitty-gritty of our lives. Many sermons um, leave us hanging in midair. We listen to a whole sermon that says this is true and that is true and God is good and God is great and all the people said, so what? Where, where does it leave us? What, what are the implications? We agree, we agree, we agree, but so what? And God's Word never does that. And God's Spirit takes God's Word and applies it down into the behavior, the attitudes, the priorities, the decision-making, the relationships of our lives. God never leaves us saying, so what? God is wiser than that. And it's this kind of passage that reminds us of that. So as we turn to its detail, let's start by noting, uh, and these three simple points are on the back of the order of service, that knowledge is always a vital base for the Christian life. What we know is always really important. And just because God uh, tells us beyond what we know how to live and what to do and where to make changes in our lives, just because of that, it doesn't mean that what we know, what we are taught is true, is unimportant. No, it's a vital base. Look at what he says to the Thessalonians in verse 2. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk, and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions or what teaching we gave you through the Lord Jesus. What you know, dear friends in Thessalonica, really matters. And what you know is from God and from us. And he comes back to this, this same uh, pattern in verse 9 at the end of the passage, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, and that indeed is what you are doing. What you have been taught, he's saying to them, is absolutely vital, and it is from God, and it's never going to change because it's Christ's truth through his apostles, given to you as the foundation of your life and all that you believe and all that, that you base your hopes for this world upon. What you know matters. This, of course, is abundantly obvious that we value this in church life, particularly when it comes to teaching children, you know, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and day after day after day at home from the age of nine months onwards, you know, we start reading them the fluffy sheep Bible or whatever it is before they can even read themselves. And we're turning the pages with them and we're continually from pre-reading onwards saying, this is what God says, this is what we know to be true from Almighty God. And we want children's 
basis of their, their knowledge of what is true to be expanding and developing and solidifying so that the foundations of life are being laid down all the time, these great slabs of concrete, unchanging truth. That's what we hope for, for our children, to, to be more and more sure of that as they grow up. It's true also, isn't it, what we do in church with very young Christians, people who've recently, from a background perhaps completely outside the church, completely untaught in the gospel, but they've met Christian people, heard the gospel, come to faith in Jesus, and from that point on, although they now know the Lord and have a relationship with Him, from that point on, there's a great need in that person's life to add in what, what the Bible teaches us about God, who He is, and, and how our beliefs fit together and make sense, and what is in the Bible, and how to read the Bible. All these basic things need to fall into place people new to church or new to faith or whatever it is. And, and Paul is, is really rejoicing with the Thessalonians that what they have been taught, they know, and what they know is true, and that that is vital for them as a church going forwards. Because he twice uses this phrase, do so more and more, based on what you know, carry on living but just keep doing it more and more. But the basis of truth is so important. That shouldn't really surprise us. It's how God created the world to be, isn't it? That, that basis of truth is vital in every, every sphere of life. It's vital in engineering. The, the man who builds the bridge he has to know the strength of the concrete and the tightness of the wires and how all these things work, otherwise the bridge will fall down. There has to be a commonly held understanding of how this works. In medicine, in ev every sphere of life, how does this work? What is true? It's God's world, and He created it thus. And in the church, that really matters. Never apologize for wanting children, young Christians, new, new Christians, to go on learning that what we know from God is absolutely vital. Point one. Point two, having said that, look at this, behavior from verse three onwards is an inescapable reality in every part of life. Christian behavior is an inescapable reality. Immediately, he says, you know what is true. This is the will of God, verse 3, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you know how to behave properly in your relationships, in your marriages, in the church. This area of sexual immorality and how we relate to each other and how we live in that realm is constantly presented in the New Testament as an absolutely vital outflowing of the, the truth of the gospel. Everything is behavior. 
even if we do nothing, that is behavior. If we sit at home and lock ourselves away, that is behavior. It is to choose to not to relate to each other. All our life is behavior. Our thinking, our priorities, our spending, our eating, and here our sexual lives as well. It's all behavior. We've just looked with uh, Rob right through the letter of James, which can be seen from beginning to end as a kind of letter addressed to Christians who had started to behave badly to, towards one another. And the letter of James is written, isn't it, to kind of put their behavior back in order. How do you behave properly in your family? I mean, that's the challenge of every, every parent, isn't it, with growing children? How are we going to behave together? How are we going to speak to each other? How are we going to treat each other? And if someone was a fly on the wall looking down into our families or into our friendships or into our workplace, what would they see about our behavior that might point them to Jesus or might make us a bit embarrassed? In either case, they'll see a mixture of both, won't they? But behavior is fundamentally a Christian and a God-honoring area of life. It's not just what we know. And in this area of sexual immorality, what Paul is highlighting here to a church that is doing really well and progressing in faith and hope and love is that this area will very likely be an area where the devil comes in. The devil never has an original thought in his head. He doesn't need to. And if he can get the church by reducing its behavior to sexual immorality, it works every time. Destructive, divisive, dark, and demoralizing for all God's people. Just recently, a friend of ours came into the house and say, how are you? And just instant tears. Her sister's marriage had come to an end in another city entirely. She'd discovered that her husband had been having multiple, multiple relationships constantly from before, during her marriage for four years. That's not a new story, is it? It's just a recent example of the same old, tedious story of brokenness when professing Christians, in this case, husband and wife, don't genuinely take what verse 7 says seriously. God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. They separated for a while and got help and counseling, and everything had changed, he said, and Eight months afterwards, it was all back to his normal pattern of the app or whatever it was. And he described his behavior as that of a sex addict. And his wife said, well, I describe it as that of sin and adultery. And you're just left in this broken mess. And it's now ended. 
And other people look in to see that in the church and sometimes say, well, that's why I would never have anything to do with the church. And what I like to try and say when given the opportunity to someone who says that is, well, look at what God says in the Bible, and He's constantly warning believers about the dangers of that kind of behavior and how that kind of behavior doesn't belong amongst His people. But if we know of God's holiness and His miraculous mercy and grace to us, and his desire for our holiness, and then ruthlessly base our every decision in life upon that knowledge, there is a path. Perverse and foolish oft we stray. None of us are perfect, but yet God sought us and holds us, and whatever the pitfalls, we'll see it through with those who know him and love him. Behavior is an inescapable reality, and we should reach out for teaching and preaching and Christian help that is willing to take God's Word and press it into every small area of our entire lives, not least that area of sexual relationships. Now, finally, knowledge, behavior, and then Paul seems to want the Thessalonians, as it were, to go on from doing so well, to keep going on and to become mature in some kind of way. He says, really, there's not, there's not any need for a letter to be written to you, for you do love one another, but he says, uh, do this, verse 10, more and more. They're obviously giving generously because all the brothers throughout Macedonia know what they're like. That's a wonderful witness. But he says in verse 11, aspire, that is, grow in your faith, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, ordered, fruitful, independent, mature lives, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. That's Christian maturity. Now, I don't want us to misread those verses. Paul is clearly not debunking every verse in the Bible that says we are to carry one another's burdens. We are to live dependent on no one, he says, and yet elsewhere the very same apostles, says, carry each other's burdens. So where is he drawing the lines here? What is he saying? Well, in the context of the Thessalonian letter, he's saying, remember last sermon, keep looking to the coming day of judgment. Grow in your faith, and so in a right sense, become Christians whose knowledge and behavior is mature. You can crack on with it as a Christian, as it were, serving others, loving one another, as, he, as indeed he, he says in verse 9, doesn't he? So he can't mean in verse 12 that to be dependent on no one is not to be involved in others or to love them and serve them because he commends them for doing that. So what is this independence like? What is this maturity like? 
It's what we want for our children, isn't it? We want them to grow up within our family and to become independently living adults. The 14-year-old doesn't really want mum at secondary school tying his shoelaces on the school doorstep. We want independence. Of course, they're still children who are dependent on their parents relationally. Those relationships stay in place. But maturity, as knowledge and behavior grows, independence is the goal. That's what he's saying here. In, in the right sense, you're still part of the family, of course. You still love one another and help one another. But become, aspire to become mature, thinking, reliable, consistent, loving Christian believers who can stand on your own two feet, by and large, and be God's witness in, in your bit of the world, wherever you work. It is for this purpose of evangelism that he says that, so that you may walk properly before outsiders, not slipping and sliding and denying Jesus all over the place, but owning him and consistently, steadfastly living for him year after year after year. Yes, God's goal for each one of us is Christ-likeness, which is, in and of itself, maturity. Grow up. Keep growing. Keep loving each other, but do it more and more. If you're on the right path, keep walking on it further with depth and growth and balance. Beware in the church and in your heart of an insatiable desire for novelty. Some people become Christians and everything is new. The gospel is new. Jesus is new. Praying is new. And it's exciting. But the time comes as we grow up that these things are no longer new. But they're more and more precious because we have more and more depth and know more and more of His grace. And what we want is more of the same thing as mature believers, not something of a new thing. Don't be dazzled by novelty. Of course, there's new things happening all the time in churches. There are new people uh, coming into churches. There are new relationships. There are new challenges. There are new uh, areas where we can witness and so on. I'm not saying that we're some kind of static, um, inorganic thing. But our desire is for more of the same thing. That's a mark of maturity. You've come to base your life on the gospel. You've come to know that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ where he died and gave himself for you is the only thing that you place your whole trust in as a human being. You've come to the place where you know that your only hope going forwards is the new creation that God will bring. That's strong maturity. And Paul says, just stay there 
and behave from there more and more in light of what you know to be true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your Holy Spirit as the Thessalonians did. However long we have known you, we never want to stray far from the foot of the cross. So come to us by your Spirit, having read, having listened, now to share and eat and drink together. Come, Holy Spirit, breathe new life, deep life, into our willing souls. In Jesus' name, amen.